Hey, this is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh, now with the Digitant Network. How's it going, guys? I hope you're having an amazing week. Um, if you would love to be a part of the Greener Grass family, opt into our newsletter. We will send you fun stuff every month. And uh, yeah, we're so excited for you to be here. All right. Today we have uh, Margot Apostolos. She is a dance professor at USC, and she's co-director and co-founder of the Cedars-Sinai USC Gloria Kaufman Dance Medicine Center um, here in Los Angeles. She earned her PhD from Stanford University, her MA in dance at Northwestern, and her BS from Southern Illinois University. She's a visiting professor at the Department of Psychology at Princeton University, and she's taught at Stanford. Um, Cal Poly and Southern Illinois. Her research work includes um, work for the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab as a research scientist in the area of space telerobotics. She's um, she's amazing. Uh, her notable research in dance for sports has included presentations for the International Olympic Committee in Sydney, Athens Olympic Games, and for the London Olympic Games. Um, she has two books, Dance for Sports, A Practical Guide, and Dance as a Catalyst, An inter Interdisciplinary Journey. Uh, she, is, she is an extraordinary woman. I met her at the most vulnerable time in my life. I broke my leg in half, and she walked into my life, and, um, and I'm better for it for a million reasons that recovery but also just to have a mentor in my life like her who is just so renowned in her in her field in the field that I that I professionally work in all right me and Kelly nerd out on her so hard uh in this interview let's get started so Kelly and I when we were little seven eight nine ten year old kids we danced together and then she she was like at 18, quite good. <laughs> I was only good probably 10 years later. But she went on to have a corporate life and she has four beautiful children. She lives and she lives close to our hometown in Ohio. We reconnected 10 years ago and we started this podcast. Where in Ohio? Where'd you guys grow up? We grew up in this little quiet town called Newark, Ohio. Near Cleveland, Cincinnati, Near what Columbus, part? but, but yeah, no, but adjacent to Granville, which is where Denison University is. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, okay. so, I mean, there's so many universities in Ohio. It's ridiculous, right? Of course there are. So many, so many great universities. Yes. Too. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, and then Margo, listeners, this is how I met Margo. This is like not usually how you meet somebody. Yeah. So I had just broke my leg in half off the Taylor Swift tour, and I was actually getting off her uh, private jet that she put me on. You were in Nashville, I was right? in was Nashville. I was, I was operated on by uh, this doctor. His name was Dr. Jahangar at Vanderbilt, who any, he, Margo, he honestly, oh, sorry, he ended up being on the COVID, um, like, strategic team. Um, wow. For Biden, I believe, but I have to go back and fact check myself. But he ended up—I mean, he's an orthopedic surgeon, but he ended up being very instrumental there. Yeah, yeah. And um, he did a great job on me, and then he was transferring me to. I should say he did a remarkable. He did a remarkable job, job on me, and then they transferred me to Dr. Paymont at Cedar Sinai. I go in for my first uh, checkup, which weird they were going to take the cast off and assess. And just mentally, emotionally, I was just so much in shock because I went from starting like a huge contract for world tour for six months. And I find myself in a doctor's office with my like leg. It was going to look pretty mangled when they took it out of the cast and like not knowing the step forward. That's when I met Margo. That's when she walked into my life. Yeah, and that, and that, can I, can yeah, I go please. by? Yeah, please. Yeah. So now it's the same moment in time. And now I'm a, I'm a PhD. I'm not an MD, but I, I kind of keep our team together. Can okay, you talk so. about what you do for Cedars and why you were there? 
Yes, yes. I'm co-director of the Dance Medicine Center and co-founder with Dr. Glenn Pfeffer. And we started the Dance Medicine Center in 2007. Can you believe that? So we're six, going 17 years into this. And uh, we, we wanted a place where dancers could come and be treated with care, loving care, and with people that really knew the specialties of dance, of all, all different kinds of dance. So we put it together between orthopedics, orthopedic surgeons, and rehabilitative medicine, the physical therapist. And then I, as the co-director and dance professor, I sort of, is the, I am the intermediary between the doctors, the therapists, and the patients. So I do the dance dialogue with everybody and make sure that everybody's getting the treatment. So Carrie Wee is our patient. Dr. Paymont comes to my desk and says, uh, uh, we've got a dancer. Uh, you know, we have to, I want you to come down and see her. And he had her x-rays in his hand. And I don't know if you know this, but we went to a separate room. And he's he put your x-rays up. And um, all I can say is, and this is as an, a PhD, not an MD, but your eyes will see what you see. I saw more hardware in that lady's leg and her ankle than I've ever seen. And I was like, whoa. And I said, um, my goodness, I said, I hope that she's able to dance again someday. And Dr. Paymont looked at me and he said, Margo, let's hope she can walk again someday. And I, at that moment, I'm gonna start crying because I was trying not to cry because I knew we were gonna walk into the room and see a dancer who were, you know, was maybe not even gonna be able to walk. And we opened the door. <laughs> this is my first meeting with Carrie Wee. She's on the treatment table. Her parents, are your parents- Yeah, were yeah, yeah. <laughs> She sat up, she had the caster, the boot was still on, she was still wrapped up. She put her hand up, she goes, hi, I'm Carrie. You know, I'm your patient. And she was so upbeat, I couldn't have cried because I'm thinking to myself, does she know what's going on? You know, is she I think naivety is really good sometimes. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, 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 you did, you knew, you knew. And so, and I knew that she was a professional dancer. I knew how the, you know, so I knew we weren't talking, we were talking with somebody whose life and career was dance. So I'm now, once Dr. Paymaw's there, you know, I'm just quiet. I just make the meet and greet kind of thing. And then as I got to know Carrie like this, remember how many, you did rehab with us for almost two years with uh, Dawn. Yeah, you yeah two Dawn. years of rehab. Yeah, every time I walked in physical therapy, I to this day, I have yet to see anyone work as hard as Carrie Wee did. Anytime I walked in there and she was doing her PT, it was like, I mean, she was a professional athlete. My world was on fire, so yeah. Yeah, it was just so, to, to know you, to know how you, it, to me, it's a story really beyond injury and recovery it's a story of inner strength it's a story of how positivity heals how you know forget what anybody says i am me i've got the strength to do this and then when you came in and you said you sent me the email it was over the summer this was like almost two years later and you said you got cleared to go back to work and you were going to be opening. I thought it was in Australia with Kiss. You remember Motley that? Crew. Yeah. Motley yeah. Crew. It was, no, it was Kiss was there too. They were just with, but you were with, I was with and I remember I called Guy. It was like the middle of the night. I called Dr. Paymont and oh. I said, I think he got the email too, but I said, do you know, do you know what she's just done? Do you know what she's just done? I mean, it's a story not every dancer, every person, every person who is faced with a, a bad diagnosis, who's going through something, you know, oh, I'll never get through this. Oh, poor me, poor me. It's, it's so much easier to just give up and say, okay, I guess I won't dance anymore. Okay, I hope I can walk. You know what I mean? Not acceptable, Carrie Wee. <laughs> I've never heard it. I've never heard you say all this. 
Oh, I uh, yeah, no, this is exactly this is exactly the experience. My my initial, but with the I can still see you sitting up in the table. Hi, I'm Carrie Reed, shaking my hand, and I'm like holding back tears, going like Margaret, you can't cry now. Look at she's she's the patient. Look at her, you know. I love being outside of this story because, <laughs> because I obviously know her for a long time and years. And, and I would see that like drive. I, I honestly think too, anyone that leaves the Midwest, Ohio, like a little town and like can do the LA thing and bring herself up in such an incredible way. I mean, I, I didn't do that. Right. I was always jealous of the fact that Carrie had that ability and she's a humble person. So the fact that to hear that story from an outside perspective, and I do always in my mind believe that mind, body, and soul is so true. Oh, and it, in the yeah. hospital, yeah, you probably is... see the people that don't have that spirit that help them overcome big things. Yeah, it's it, and it's funny because uh, I, I've been in I've been in LA since uh, 1986. I've been in California since 1978. But like you too, I came from the Midwest. I came from Chicago. And um, I, I tell a lot of my friends and family, all the years I've been out here, I always, whether I'm at a party, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at the hospital, I somehow, I won't even say recognize or identify, but I somehow link and gravitate with Midwestern people. There is something in our upbringing that just makes a common bond that if you spend enough time or have a long enough conversation, you go like, are you from the Midwest? You know, like you can't be from LA. <laughs> Don't put that on the podcast. <laughs> I edit that one out. Listen, <laughs> us Midwest girls like to hear these things though. But oh, but it's so true. You know what I'm saying? No, the LA people are lovely and wonderful, but there's just something very unique about whether I mean I, I have so many friends out here. Ohio, Iowa, Indiana, Minnesota, Illinois, of course, Wisconsin. That, that's like my circle of people. Unbelievable. Yeah. I love to jump in in the sense that like I was looking you up because Carrie obviously knows a little bit more about you. And starting off in Chicago, like your resume or your bio is just like over the top amazing. But like, what is the start? It is. What is the start of all that? Like, in Chicago, how did you get to the space that you're in today? Where where did that start in Chicago and what was the big move to LA? Because I think just reading it, I, I, I'm at my parents' house, why it, which is why I'm in the dark. The listeners don't know I'm in the dark, but my son has theater tonight. It's close to the theater. So I ran to my parents' house and it's dark in my old bedroom. I'm in my old bedroom. It's a mess. They like storage things um, but I said to my dad, I'm about to meet an amazing person and I don't even know what I'm going to find out because looking at your bio, there's so much to it. So that's like a big question, but. Yeah, yeah it's really funny because sometimes I think back a lot too, is I, I do that. That's a, uh, a question. Um, I I've asked myself sometimes, how, how did I get here? How did this all happen? And I think number one, I mean, this is this is a part. I we I grew up very poor. I grew up poor. My dad died when I was a child, and we we did not have a lot of money. And my mom was not educated, but wanted me to have an education. So I just wanted to be a teacher, and I became a high school dance teacher and coach, coaching tennis, gymnastics, to begin with, and. Um, you know, one would think maybe the story ends there. You know, I marry my college sweetheart. We live in the suburbs, yada, yada. We live happily ever. But somehow it, that all, to me, I just felt um, there was more. I, I didn't ever imagine I'd end up at Stanford with a PhD, never met, you know, LA and Cedars. And, you, and I mean, that you can't say that I projected that. It all just kind of happened. And whether when I was teaching in the high school, I simply got bored. <laughs> And I just said, I needed more knowledge. I said, I have to go back to school. And that's when I ended up at Northwestern. I was like, I need a bachelor's degree now. I've, I've like utilized all that information on my students. Now I have to get some new skill. I have to get a new skill set. 
So I get the MA in dance at Northwestern, which was my dream. Now you think I would have stopped there because uh, I, I couldn't, I got accepted Northwestern. We couldn't go because we didn't have the money. So I made it, you know, oh, I'll pay for myself. So I saved my own money from teaching. And so that to me was like, I felt like I had made it then when I got that MA, but that was only the beginning. Once I had the MA in my head, <laughs> that's when I decided California, here I come, um, that I just quit my job at the high school. And I had been studying dance with Gus Giordano's in Evanston on Hubbard Street with Lou Conti at Ruth Page's downtown. So I got a taste of the world of professional dance. And I was utilizing that in my high school classroom. Right. Quite honestly, you are both great dancers. I was like an okay dance. You know what I mean? I wasn't as good as you guys would be. So, but it was like, I could teach really well. So I thought, well, you know, I'm meant to be a teacher, but the MA, the master's degree sort of opened the door and Joe Tremaine, I had met Joe Tremaine at a dance convention before there were conventions. It was like a professional dance association. And it was in, I think, Nashville. It was in the <laughs> Nashville. It was my first trip to Nashville. And I met Joe Tremaine and I remember reading about him. A lot of the Giordano dancers had come to California. So it was sort of like, if I ever had a dream of something, it was, you know, follow the yellow brick road to California. But pragmatically, I went from one job teaching the high school to now teaching at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I had to go to a job because when you grow up poor, you just can't right. <laughs> go back poor, you know? So, so, you know, I was teaching up there and driving to LA and studying with Joe. And then, then I just, I, I remember the one day at Poly teaching at Poly. I was at the beach, love the beach, you know, went to the, and I was thinking, well, I got a bachelor's now I got a master's. I may as well go for the trifecta. You know, there's one more degree out there. So maybe I'll just go through the PhD. And then sometimes, just like meeting Carrie Wee, you know, the stars are just in alignment and things happen that just happen for the right reasons at the right time. And I never would have imagined that I got a full scholarship to Stanford. And I did. And for the PhD. And then that just, that, that put me in the stratosphere. Um, so that's kind of how it happened. But it was step by step. Can I tell you though, Kelly? What are the chance? Okay, I'm very, very, very lucky for a lot of like coincidences. I live in LA. You do not have a hospital like Cedar Sinai in every city of the world. Right. So, like within 30 minute drive, I'm at this world renowned hospital that has a program named Dance Medicine. Right. Uh, Margo, how many, how many like dance focused PT slash orthopedic? centers are there in the world do you know at that time at that time when you when you were injured there were very now there's more we sort of set a standard out there so now you'll find it's it's become very common and actually i've been talking with dr paymon dr pfeffer i'm almost tempted to change the language back and say that we do sports medicine for dancers because all my dancers at usc are out they, they want to be known yeah. as athletes ah so descriptively when people say what is dance medicine by definition it is sports medicine for dance so but no to answer your question yes at that time we were one of the pre we were one of the very few places in the country and probably around the world there were not a lot of those specialty places right so if you get injured and you just don't happen to be near one of these places you either have to spend the money and get there or you're just yeah. going to have a different level of care like can you imagine, I have this injury, which Dr. Paymont, who is renowned himself in a room alone with you is saying, I don't know if she's ever going to dance again. He never said that to me until after. He didn't tell me that until yeah. after. That's what he yeah. thought. I walk, my first appointment, think, Kelly, think about how many bad doctors you've ever had in your life. My first appointment, I have, like the, the dance professor at USC consulting my case it's just the, the stars aligned, you know, and then I got a PT and I told her halfway through, I was like, I want to be PTing in point shoes and in heels by the last couple months. And she said, okay. You know, like that doesn't happen anywhere. It was, 
that was, you know what, Carrie, because it was so early on in our program too, I want to say that, that you were a moment of history. You know, that was a moment of we history. We laughed. Of my program. dad is like, why are they still putting you on emails? It wasn't that a long time ago. <laughs> oh no, we, we never, Carrie's just like a part of it. You're, you're part of it. You know, because some somebody say, "Well, Carrie's our post." I said, "No, no, no. Carrie's the heart and soul. She is what we are. You are what we are." You know, it's just so so true. But yeah, sometimes things just happen that way. But no, I did not wake up as a, a little child and just say, "Oh yes, someday I will have a PhD from Stanford and I will live in LA and I will run dance at USC and Cedars and yada yada yada." You don't know no, that never. I just think <laughs> about like all of these because these are all huge monumental. There are people that just wish that they got the degree to be a high school teacher and that they were teaching, then just got the ability to up and leave and go to California. Like even a move across country thing that people yeah, have the fear yeah. and like don't have the ability to like just start over. And then getting Joe Tremaine, everybody knows Joe Tremaine and like having the ability to be mentored and like, partner and have that relationship with him and then it just it's like it keeps going I mean and you had that burning desire to do more where I think people would have just stopped at the MA now you go it's just crazy it's crazy that you keep going in this yeah. way so leaving Stanford like how do you end up starting the whole I mean starting but being a, a part of um something so brand new in the dance world that takes care of like a super lovey, amazing person like Carrie. And actually, you know, my, my PhD ended up being in robotics. I did robot choreography. So I was programming robots to dance. So I had this other uh, kind of gig going on as a postdoc and as a grad student, but the job I wanted. So now, I mean, and I'm not, I mean, I, I know I'm sounding very, oh, very, you know, this just kind of happened. And, and I, But I'll tell you when I, when I, as hard as it was, everything you go through to, you know, you all, you both know what it takes to get these degrees. After I earned that Stanford PhD, I knew I had to land like a really good job. You know, my, my advisor even told me, do not settle. You, you have a golden ticket in your hand. And this was in the eighties. So this director of dance at USC opened in 1986, the position and it was in physical education. We didn't have a dance major, but Joe Tremaine's studio was in North Hollywood. I had made a lot of friends in LA um, and it's just where I wanted to be. So again, the stars just aligned. A lot of ways, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm saying this honestly, I feel I have been very, really truly blessed that I, I have a lot of divine guidance that is I, I'm a kind of you know I feel a strong spirit and this just didn't happen I mean something something stronger is helped me I really feel that but I'll stop it there I don't want to bring a whole other metaphysics into this but um so that's when I, I came to LA and, and then actually I was doing robot. I was working with robots and I started back working with my athletes training athletes which is how I got interested in sports medicine and then I met Dr. Pfeffer. I met Dr. Pfeffer in 2005. So now I've been at USC for, well, let's do the math, from 86 to through the, for a long time before I meet, the, we call him the Pfeff, before I met the Pfeff. And he had just come to Cedars and he loved dance. And he we, we met through a, a mutual parent of one of my students was one of his best friends. And I mentioned to the, the student and his parents one night that I always wish I could have gone for an MD and been a, a dance medicine specialist. And then they, they brought Dr. Pfeffer into the picture and then the rest, that was history. So we started it just like that, just like that. It just, oh, you know, Cedars gave us uh, this, you know, kind of startup for it. And we just kept going with it. So you have to, I think, if I were giving the advice to the young Margo or to my students, I would say sometimes you go with your intuition. You know, somehow I, there were things I knew, like I said, you know, you don't leave one job till you have the next job. So I always had to have that kind of safety net, some kind of stability that gave me more strength to make the next yeah. move, you know? So you don't want to just jump off the cliff. 
and not know. So you, I always felt like I'm kind of prepared and I, you know, just knowing what to do. Made, I've made a lot of mistakes too. I've made mistakes along the way and you just pick up, dust yourself off and go on, you know. I have to, so some, I hate to go backwards a little bit, but I'd love to know a little bit about robotics choreography. Like, I mean, because it's a part, such a part of who you are. And that makes so much sense when I was reading all, you know what I mean? I, and so what does that mean exactly? But then I want to go back to, you know what I mean? Dance medicine, but I'd like to know a little bit about well, it. Yeah, but, you know, when we talk about dance medicine, we talk about dance, we talk about movement. It's very, it's, it's very easy for me to see the link with robots. So when I met my first robot, I was in a mechanics. I, I, I'll say my link to robotics came through biomechanics. I'll just say that. I don't want to go into yeah. the whole story, but I was very interested in biomechanics. And then I ended up in an engineering class studying mechanics. And that's where I met the robot. And it just all seemed like, you know, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's movement. It's movement in some way. But you'll understand because you're dancers, and I don't often uh, talk about this too much, but when I was an undergrad back in the, the 60s, the old hippie days, uh, at Southern Illinois, I mean, you're both from the Midwest, so you've heard of Carbondale and the Salukis. So my first dance master as an undergrad student had been an Alvin Nikolai disciple. He had danced and studied with Alvin Nikolai. So my first exposure, this is like as a 17 year old, this is before Giordano, before Lucanti, before Hubbard Street, you know, I'm just my exposure to dance because I started dancing late because we didn't have money. Um, we were doing Nikolai choreography and I thought it was normal. We were in the bags, you know, we had the elastic, we were dancing to bing bong boom. And I remember thinking, this is odd. This is what I thought dance was going to be. But I might, I declared a minor in dance. And I guess it's dance. So when I met, I, I talked with Nikolai before he died. I talked with him by phone. I had the nerve to call him on the telephone and tell him about my robots. And he was not in any way interested, I have to say. But um I told him that, you know, I, I didn't know who he was, but my teacher introduced him. And I really thank Alvin Nikolai for my work in robot choreography because I thought that was normal. Yeah. <laughs> and I think even, even despite what he told me, Nikolai told me in the 90s, I think he would have been a terrific robot choreographer now, you know, give him these machines now that are so sophisticated he would have gone crazy. I do a section in one of my classes on Nikolai's work. And yeah, I think he really would have really gone with this. But yeah, so I programmed, I actually did all the programming at Stanford. We did a lot of videos. The, the premise in the 1980s was trying to get the robots to move more gracefully so people would be more likely to accept them. It was user acceptance that in the 80s people were afraid of technology yeah. many still are yeah but i mean back then you know people didn't we didn't we didn't even have a computer you know we would i still got the old typewriter down the storage you know it's like so um yeah so that was the robotics and now at sc i've gone like full circle because uh, tomorrow i'm actually meeting with my new team of robot dancers and that's human robots and and uh mechanical robots too i've got students interested in you know like the new generation of robots so we just sort of mess around we're not it's not a course um it's not a project they just volunteer you know a couple hours with me a week and we we work with the engineering students to help them and we're working with quadrupeds now so we have like these four-legged machines so i'm but like first of all you're you're brilliant like she has to be genius level brilliant right to be able to like play in all of these different spaces and too, like do you think like technology is so different now than when you first entered that space is it so crazy mind-blowing for for you to think of like where you were when it started and like what it's looking like now and in the future super quick like I think everything's going so fast now that like in two years everything could look completely different than where we're at right now 
personally, and this, this is just the old woman in me now, you know, I've become the person that says, you know, it's just going too yeah, fast. Me too. You know, it's like, you're missing, it's like you're almost missing part of it. You know, there was something about being in those developmental stages with the technology. I've got a, one of my first robots in my office at USC and it's, it's, it's huge and it's bulky. And it's, I mean, it's, it, people see it and they're like, what is this? It's an industrial robotic arm. And I describe it as, I said, well, this is George. He's one of my early robot dancers and he's disabled now. He no longer dances. You know, I just kind of make a joke of it, but really I just, I describe him as being like a 57 Chevy. So kind of like looking back at classic cars, you know, we, there was a great beauty in that design that just um, somehow I, I feel is kind of missing right now. I don't know. Uh, do I think today's robots are more fantastic than the industrial arm? I just work with industrial yeah. arms. That, that's the functioning part of a robot. That's what does the work. So, so now we have like, you know, there's full body and that's, if you've ever seen Sophia, the uh, Android robot, I don't know if you've ever seen her or heard of her. Yeah, she's the one when they talk about the term, the uncanny valley, that she's so human-like and you can have a conversation with Sophia and she responds like we're speaking now. She's got a certain, you know, dialogue program to respond to and it freaks you out that's where the term uncanny valley comes from. it's like i i remember watching uh, piers morgan's on an interview and he walked off the set he said i'm so uncomfortable wow. so there is part i think where as a society we almost you know i'm look i look at my bookshelves and i look at books like you know i've got 1984 here i've got some of those old prophetic books about what's happening and it's it's happened you know it's really happened um, yeah, I, I, you know what I was wondering today, I'm going to change the topic, is where, where do you think, you're both dancers, where are we heading in dance with AI? Oh, that's what I was kind of wondering where your head, like what you think, because it's, it's like starting to affect so many different avenues. I haven't even talked about it. Yeah. Yeah, like all of the, and it's bound to you know, take a place in the dance world too. So I, I don't know. I, haven't... you know, um, from, from the commercial standpoint, uh, not the actual dancing, but AI is producing some really good headshots. <laughs> like, oh, okay. like yeah. incredible. And, and so, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, those photographers got to, you know, figure out a new job for themselves. Those jobs are gone. Um, and I want to, I, I'm not really sure how we're gonna talk about AI because it's still very confusing me, but to couple that question and, and send it back to you, Margo, like with the AI question and just like 2024, you are at USC, you see a new, a new class of dancers every single year. And I wanted to see what your thoughts are. Like what direction do you see us you know, that Gen Z, that young generation going in, what, what, what are the downfalls of what's happening in our world? You also live in Los Angeles. So, you know, I went to Oberlin College and we had our little island of dance bubble. We could do what we wanted and we weren't really touched by the outside world. I don't think that's the case here at USC. I, I, I guess. When you were in Oberlin, was Brenda way there? Or she no, she had left? already left. She was not, she was not yeah, there yet. The first robot show I did was with the ODC, Oberlin Dance, out of San Francisco. I love Brenda. She Wade. is yeah. still, I, I still, like, I think I saw an article about her, like, last week. Like, she's still very much in it. She's still in it. She's still in it. No, no, it is, uh, what I have to say generally, generationally, is that to me, and this is just strictly taste, my own personal taste, as I wouldn't even say as a dancer, for, you know, just my own taste, is that uh, the aesthetic of dance has changed a lot, you know, the aesthetic. And I don't, uh, I, I, I just, 
I, I just, I, I don't know what I would be doing now if I were still dancing myself or even, I'm not, I'm not teaching technique in the studio. You know, I'd probably still be teaching my old style, you know, very lyrical and, you know, uh, funky jazz and, you know, cause I always think whatever goes around will come around again, I hope someday. But um, to the AI question, here's the question I pondered over the weekend, thinking about a, cause we're doing a workshop about AI chat, GPT and writing and students. So we're doing that coming up at USC in a couple of weeks, at the end of the month. I got to thinking last night, what's gonna happen when a student or choreographer decides that I want to see what AI or, you know, whether it be under chat, I don't know, I don't want to give AI more ideas than they already have, but let's just say you put Balanchine's works, which are all held copyright, put Balanchine work, a work, let's say a piece, Balanchine, a copywritten piece into the AI big machine and say, now I want to see Balanchine do that piece in hip hop then where what happens to the copyright who owns the property you know is that real who you know who choreographed that is it still balancing choreography so i don't know is do you think that that's going to happen or am i just maybe i should keep my mouth shut so it doesn't happen i think anything's possible and i i do i think anything's possible and i think there's this like amazing piece and scary piece of it all right like there's an amazing piece that like we have the ability to create and to be this you know brilliant that we can create things that can do these things that's amazing and I'm sure you know I've heard about it in medicine which you're also in medicine like I've heard as far as what it's doing connecting all the dots from all the research all over the world like how it might take us from a you know medical standpoint to new levels because there's one little research that's happening here and here and here and that it's all being connected so much faster um and those solutions can come so much quicker for big things hopefully in the world but you know i am a believer of humans doing things and i'm a people person i'm a relationship person i remember my son who's in medicine but he is 23 now. And I remember us. Yeah. We were at the grocery store. He was little, we were at the grocery store and it was right when self-checkout started. And he was like, mom, we shouldn't go to the self-checkout because that lady works here and I want her to be able to keep her job. And he was little. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I love that. Um, so it's just like, what happens? Many things. Oh, my phone is like listening to me. Um, shocking my phone's listening to me right right here we are welcome to 2024 yeah yeah i think there's everything there's the limits of where this goes um and i think when do we kind of get a hand because it's going so fast when do we get a handle on it to put rules in place and think about things like what you just said like what does that mean for a choreographer yeah. or you know, anyone that has that creative ability to create and do all the things, the writers, the directors, the inventors. Yeah, I'm more concerned about those people, honestly. Like, I'm more concerned about the writers, the voiceover. Right. Um, not necessarily the bodies that are on the stage. I feel like, in a way, we might be a little less copyable, I, unless you're in a digital media. Like, obviously, you know, they put you know, the Oompa Loompas in, in Willy Wonka. Yeah. I don't know. That time they did not hire 50 dancers that were little small people. They, they, they did it digitally. And then came a lot of, into a lot of um, criticism about it. But do you think that creation, do you think it could say like Pink is going on tour for a concert and they could put into AI her song and what the stage, what the... You know what I mean? All the movement. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we had a project at Cedars I did with biomechanics where we used uh, performance capture. Uh, this is a, this is not AI per se, but it, it, when you say uh, you just trigger, I, this is probably why things happen because my mind jumps all over. Motion around, capture, so you mean? Well, it's like, it's a little more than that, a little more than that because our device works on a router where we don't have the cameras. So it just works. So I, I could have myself 
in uh, with the markers on my body and I could walk around this condo and not have any cameras in here and the recording my movements. Um, so the project we did, we were, we were doing a feasibility study to see if we could use um, augmented reality or mixed reality to reduce fatigue in dancers. Okay, so follow me on this. So you both know dance, if we're doing a show, we tend to overtrain in rehearsal. So, you know, the, the week of the show, the night before the show, you know, that's when we're, we're really working. I watch, we've all done it, even as a director, I know it's wrong, but we, we were in the theater, we have to do it. Um, so we were trying to build uh, with augmented mixed reality goggles. Uh, we, we built uh, a system. So it started, stage one was, have the dancer do like, we just did a simple piece, three minutes of his choreography with the markers. So we then took all that data and put it in the computer and attract all of his movement. We weren't looking so much at forces, like, you know, force plates, but we were looking at joint angles and timing and flow. We then created an avatar to resemble him. We took photos of him. So we put like his face on the avatar. So the, the image of him in the computer, the avatar resembled him. The motion was his dance movement that had now been translated. And then we used photomotography and went to the performing space in the Kaufman building on campus. And with the photomotography, we took, it was a pretty much half day project, taking pictures with the computer of every angle of the stage and the theater area from the seating, where the, the how this performance would take place. And then, and I didn't do this uh, programming, but one of the uh, techs at the lab did, he then programmed the dancer into the performing space, like it would be the night of the performance. And then the rehearsal stage of it was rather than the dancer rehearsing over and over again, he sat with the goggles on and just did the cognitive rehearsal wow. watching him dance. So when you say about pink having, you know, so with photomotography, you can create the environment and you, you could do all of that part of it. So the, the technology is there to do that kind of staging. But I think the bigger issue will come with the ownership, you know, cause you know, just like Carrie said, it's not so much, you know, the, the, the actors, but it's the writers, right? Who's created the work, who's created the words. So I would only imagine that if Balanchine or Balanchine's estate would probably be furious, you know, He's taken his work, feeding it into AI, and now saying, well, now we have the new Balanchine hip-hop performance. Maybe Balanchine wouldn't have even liked hip-hop. I don't know. You know, So there are a lot of things that could happen by putting his name on it. Or you know, you do the same thing with Graham or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. There's too many questions. These are, these are the things. These are the thing. We never thought about this. You know, 10 years ago, we would not be having this conversation. It's interesting because at first I was like, how did she get, I mean, I understand dance and robotics, but how did she get from robotics to PhD and starting this program at Cedar sinai Like amazing. But then I'm thinking like the engineering and the mechanics and the figuring out how the robotic arm moves and then putting something on like carrying back in place on what are all the things that are going to get her moving and growing and working again like at first I didn't see the connection and maybe I'm off but I do see the connection now because it's the same thing really you getting the robotic arm to move and then you putting Carrie back together so that her all the things are moving in the way that they were intended to yeah and I think part of it I go back to undergrad training, you know, because my undergrad was a Bachelor of Science in physical education with a dance minor. But in physical education, I studied anatomy, kinesiology, biomechanics. So I studied the science of movement. And I've always been very equally as interested in sport as dance. So I think just my own brain, my own body, was so into the movement aspect, even more than the aesthetic of it so much as really, it's all, to me, it's all movement. It's fundamental yes. movement. But I do think 
Uh, you, now you've really got me going, Kelly, it's like, I'm going to sit here tonight wondering how I yeah. ended up here. You know, maybe I should be back at Glenbard no. North High School teaching <laughs> orcasis and, and tennis or something. But um, yeah, I think it's just the, the new, you know, the knowledge you gather. But uh, I, my example of the, the Nikolai, I think about that a lot, how subliminally a seed could be planted in a young brain uh, unaware. So, you know, here I'm doing this bizarre, when I, when I think of it now, when I look at Nikolai now, or I show Nikolai's work in my class, my students are like, who is this? What is, who is this man? And that was my introduction to it. And I thought it was normal. Yeah. You know? Well, it was groundbreaking from what I remember. Oh yeah. It was, he was like the word avant-garde. He was so avant-garde, you know, it was, it was, it was so odd compared to Graham. Graham was, you know, monumental, but she was accepted. Nikolai was just bizarre. You know, it's like bizarre. If you look at his stuff and you put it in the context of 1960, you're like, wow, you know, this is really crazy. But, um, it, and it was like the, uh, one of my friends who wrote the foreword in my book, Dance for Sports, uh, he's a coach I first, first worked with at Cal Poly. And he describes like the first day he met me. <laughs> and he, he described me as, as having an uncluttered brain, you know, like my brain was not cluttered then. And so it was just open to, to everything. And I think that, that that's sort of, you know, how this all unfolded. So dance for sports, tell us a little bit. So my boyfriend is in professional hockey and it's, and he was a goalie. He was, a, he's a goalie coach and his son is a goalie, but it's so interesting to me how sports and dance, you know, dance was always, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, you're a professional, but like dance was the arts. And yes, uh, of course, us dancers thought of ourselves as athletes. We knew we were like physically doing all the things, but it was like arts and then sports. And now I feel like in a, a crazy way, they're just like overlapping. And I mean, the guys are doing yoga they're, they understand, I think like professional athletes, I think it, I know it was always a thing, but I think it's to a new level now where it, it there is so much crossover. And do, how do you feel about that? Do you love that? I mean, even from at Cedar Sinai, do you like that? The, the idea of changing it to sports medicine for dance, does that make sense for you? Because you've been on both. I mean, I think it, it is. It's not even change. It's just the yeah. description. You know, what is dance medicine? It is sport. You know, because if if uh, one of my students, I have a, you know, everybody want, you know, they find out how, what do you do? Oh, I want to be a dance medicine doctor, and I have to tell them, you don't get a degree in dance medicine. You become an, or, an orthopedic surgeon. You become an orthopedist, and you could specialize in hip, knee, ankle, you could specialize in dance medicine like Dr. Uh, Charlton, you know, you have doctors who specialize, but the degree is not in that. Um, no, I, and again, it, it grows, growing up, maybe naive, maybe not being so smart when I was, you know, not, I'm not smart now, but as a child, I was clueless. I was really clueless. You're talking about uncluttered. I think my friend was being nice. He met the clueless Margo, <laughs> but it was, um, I just saw dances. I, I could never decide which I'd rather do, go to dance or go to uh, play sport. It was like, they're equal. They were, you know, I always said to myself, dance is making me a better yeah. athlete and sports is making me a better dancer. I could walk into Lou Conti's studio and maybe not be the most beautiful jazz dancer he ever saw, but I was sure strong enough. And I knew kinesthetically, I knew how to handle my body. Um, so I just always, I just always saw the thing. And I actually, going back to Chicago, I, I didn't dream of being a dancer. I wanted to be shortstop for the Cubs. I wanted to be a baseball yeah. player. And my mom, my Greek mom said, you know, girls can't do that. And then I, I even write about it in the book. I was watching the old Ed Sullivan show and I saw Margot Fontaine and Rudolf Nureyev doing a pageant, which I, I didn't know what it was, but I was watching the TV show. And then I, pulled my mom out of the kitchen and I said to her, can I do that? Because I recognized 
it was a woman doing movement and she looked strong and she looked beautiful. And my mom looked at it puzzled. I guess she never thought it, this would ever happen. And she said, yeah, sure. Fine, honey, you can do that. You know, but you can't, you can't play baseball for the Cubs. So I, I saw it, but it was harder to, you know, cause I began training athletes in the late seventies. So it was not acceptable. Like now, now, I mean, I, in the book, I write about, you know, every great NFL and NBA player that has come through my studio and all the Olympians at USC. I mean, I get a large pool of talent, so I'm not making them great, but they, they come through the doors of the studio. But yeah, they all take dance now. So like you say, they're doing, but you know, you mentioned hockey. Hockey's not <laughs> in the book. And Dr. Paymont, Carey's doctor, you know, he's from Montreal, Canada. So he played hockey. When he was young, I was having dinner with him about a month ago. And I said, you know, I regret not having hockey in the book because I love, I go to the, I go to the Kings games a lot here in LA. I love, I love going to yeah. hockey games. I think they're exciting and there's all the drama of sport, yeah. you know, and, but yeah, those, the, the, the player, they're so beautiful yeah. on, on the ice, oh. you know, to do what they do is just amazing. And your husband's a goalie. So he is, he worked for the Red Wings. Now he's with the Edmonton Oilers. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he's with the Edmonton Oilers and he's over program development and goalies. So yeah. Yeah. If I do another article or do a, a, a sequel to my book, I have to, I have to have hockey. In yeah. It, he no always doubt, tells me that he know? had flat straddles, flat straddles when he yeah. was drafted. Oh yeah. That makes sense. He was drafted. So yeah. You know, Margo, do you have, um, for our listeners, uh, for, for the athletes who are sports athletes and for the athletes who are dancers, um, or even, you know, in my world, an aerialist or a circus person, how would you advise them going forward? Uh, how do you see the four-year jury working for people? How do you see it when people go into a professional career right after high school I think for sport and dance <clears throat> that the young dancer, the young athlete must perform. I mean, you, it, this is when, you, when your body is your profession, there, there cannot be a back burner. You cannot say, well, I'm going to raise my family and then I'm going to be on Broadway. You know, or I'm going to, you know, have beautiful children and then I'll go dance with Taylor Swift. Because, you know, that the, the expiration date of the body and the movement of, of that, not forever. I mean, we still go look at my, you know, you still move on, but the competition, the high level of performance. So to answer your question, I say you have to just go for it. I mean, one time I had a dancer at USC before we had the major, her parents desperately, they were USC Trojans and they wanted her to get her degree and she just wanted to dance and she tried, she was always cutting class and going to auditions and, you know, being on leave for shows. And the one day that she and her father, we were in my office and I, I probably said things I shouldn't have said, but I just said to the father and the daughter, I said, you know, she, she really needs to dance now. I said, she can come back and get her degree in business. So she went on, she became a Laker girl. I have to say, she made it in the first round. She danced with the Lakers for a long time. And then when her clock ticked out, she came back and she got her degree. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's the real realism of it. You, you can't time delay the body on that. You, you can't, you know, say, well, I'll do this after, you know, put it on the back burner. You kind of have yeah. to do it. Well, wow, that, that's interesting. I mean, is that interesting to say, saying that you're a college dance professor? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the thing about having USC, they are dancing at USC, you know, so what I'm saying, so they are kind of the best of all worlds there. Now, we didn't have the major back when we had the Laker girl. We didn't have a major. So she was going into, you know, Carrie, you know, all the studios we had. So she was going to the professional studios because she was top level performer. Now at Kaufman School of Dance, we have the top level students as the BFAs, you know, 
But nonetheless, you know, when you graduate, you better get out there and get, because you're already kind of four years behind because you've got people who are auditioning that are 17 and 18. I mean, I fully agree with, I fully agree with you. And I'm still on the cusp of, of my, of what I think about that. Because on the other hand, I have friends who did that, who went, who, when I met them at 23, they were 17, 18, and they did not miss those years of dancing. But then now I'm so glad I got my degree. Yeah. So See, that's, that's the hard it. part. The only plus, and you guys tell me because you know, I mean, we have college professor, we have dancer who got your degree first. I do think that the world has opened up a little bit that you could do some online courses and like start your degree. And I think that even in professional hockey, that there are some hockey players that are doing the dream, but they're also doing a little bit of online here and there so that when they do leave or it doesn't work out or whatever, they've got something going and established. Um, do you think that that's opened up from an online, because of online perspective, that it gives people the ability? I do think that, you know, online, and then there's, there's, there's online and then there's, you know, what I, I just say, there's just like a lot of for-profit places. So you want to be very careful where you go online if you're really going to put money into this. But no, I think the, uh, the quality and the convenience, it's all there, but I'm, I'm all in because, you know, we have to keep furthering, I'll use the word education, but I mean our minds, our bodies, our intellect, you know, you have to keep it challenged. So that does open those opportunities. Um, what I have say to uh, a lot, when we had the dance minor at USC, I said to, because we had our repertory dance, you know, we had a elective classes and I would tell the, the, the mothers would come in and, you know, the stage door moms and, you know, why don't you have a dance major? My daughter wants to. And I would say, look, you know, we don't have a dance major. We have the minor. But I said, but, but your daughter can get a degree in business or engineering or, you know, and dance and dance in our company and take our classes. And I said, and with the money you're paying in tuition, you can be reassured that your daughter or son will be gainfully employed for most of their life with this degree that they've earned. So you do have to look. And that was one of the things that drove me with the, I remember the day in Giordano's studio, because uh, remember I told you at the beginning of this podcast, I wasn't that good of a dancer, you know? I mean, I worked hard, but I just, shorter legs, you know, just didn't have the somatotyping. Um, and we were in Giordano's old studio on Davis Street in Evanston, and a bunch of my friends after class one night, they just all decided they were all work. I was teaching in the high school. They were working, you know, waitresses and, you know, uh, little jobs. They pick up jobs. And they decided in the dressing room that they're all going to quit their jobs and go to New York next month. And we're going to go to New York and we're all going to dance on Broadway. Come on with us, Marco. And, and I'm like, uh, let me think about this, you know, and I'm driving home in my new car, you know, I mean, there were things I had to earn now. And I'm like, I got a job. I'm, you know, I'm living with my mom, but I like where I live. And, you know, things were pretty good, better than it'd been growing up. And, and then when I got into my room, I looked in my mirror and I looked at my, my body and I thought, realistically, I'm not going to make it in New York. I'm not going to make it in New York. So I'm going to quit my job here and pretend that I'm going to go there and be on Broadway. So I didn't obviously didn't go, you know, ended up going to Northwestern instead. And it was like, maybe you say I chickened out, maybe it was like the safer route. But the thing I remember too, was of the friends that went to be on Broadway, I never heard that anybody made it on Broadway, you know, I'm sure they had a blast, but. From here where I live, we have a dancer who's at pace he's a man at pace. I do. I mean, I'm watching from afar, right? Social media. He came home at Christmas and said, hello. I mean, he's amazing. Like he, if he doesn't get somewhere, I'll, I'll be shocked. He's tall. He's lanky. He's can do all the things. Um, but I do feel like pace is giving them great networking, auditioning opportunities, even as a freshman, like he has the ability to go audition for Broadway musical, like they open it up a little bit more. So I'm sure, and I don't know about USC, but do you feel like it is the ability, if you do choose the college route, you do have the ability to meet some incredible 
dancers in the profession and network and get some opportunities in that way. Yeah, and we're, you know, strategically so well located, you know, to have USC Kaufman yes. in LA. Like being in New York, you know what I'm saying? It's like we have, you know, the incredible visiting artists coming in, but our curriculum in the dance school for the majors and in our electives, we're constantly expanding it to meet the demands of the world. You know, like um, we're doing a, a program now that I'm, I'm not teaching in it, but I'm very excited. We have, we have a dance leadership program. So people going into whether it be uh, running a company, whether it be going into, you know, running, doing fundraising. So preparing them to do something with the yeah. dance. Um, I teach dance science uh, some semesters. I've got that. So they do learn all about anatomy because some go on to pre, I've got a couple that have, you know, gone or want to be on, going on to pre-med or PT. Mm -hmm. One has gone into OT. So they have these options, but this new uh, class, and I think they're partnering with Roski School of Art at USC to do dance and fashion, which is really, this is where things are happening yeah. right now. And I would project dance and business, you know, so now, you know, if you're going to have these dance majors and people, these schools of dance, they've got to, to partner up and broaden out. So the dancer's life and life as a dancer can go on the whole career because I tell those young dancers, it's not like music. It's not like drama. It's not like art. I mean, in theater, you've got, you know, Meryl Streep stars as an ingenue. Now she plays grandma, you know, De Niro. We've watched his whole career. As they age, the career, you know, their parts vary and they progress. Singers, Tony Bennett, Barbara Streisand, they keep singing. You know, I mean, dancers, you dance to a certain point and then you've got to, you know, unless you're Twyla Tharp or Barishnikov or Mark Morris, you know, you've got to have plan B. Oh my God, this is the best. I'm so happy. Come out and have drinks with both of you. I just love Oh, I love that. Yeah, next time let's crack up with wine. Yeah, absolutely. When are you coming out to LA? Do you know? I come out probably every few months. It's been a little bit, so I'm due oh, for sure. I'm due. Yeah, she has a real job, and she has traveled for her job. But Margot, I never heard some of those stories, and it just warmed my heart so much. It was just such a hard time, and, oh. and it was to have like a somebody to talk to who knew what they're talking about just brought me so much peace because, you know, it's just the anxiety. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I'll leave with one last thing. When, when I, I moved in this condo about a year ago and when I was unpacking, I found Carrie with your children or Kelly with your children. Do you have like, do they still do baby books? I'm sure they're online now. You record everything. Well, I found my old baby book from, you know, 1949, 1950. And in it was an essay I had written sometime in grade school. And it was like, you know, Growing well, growing up in the in the Midwest, you guys will get it. So I'm I'm describing our family vacation to the Wisconsin Dells, but I describe it like we've gone to the Riviera, you know. And if you're really lucky, someday you might get to go to the Wisconsin Dells. So I mean, this is where this is where it begins. But at the very end, um, the 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 prophecy, the the, the prophetic little Margot writes, and I know that someday I want to be a teacher. And if I am very lucky, I hope someday I can go to the Chicago Teachers College, which would be like going to, you know, community college. Like, I thought, like, to me, if the, the, the best thing that could ever happen to me would be I, I could go to the Chicago Teachers College and be a teacher, you know, and that was and I, I looked at that and it made me cry. I think look like, at what you are. Wow. I that. Yeah, my little kids writing, you know. I love it. Well, you are amazing. Thank you so much for taking You guys are both, and you're both so beautiful. You really are. Yeah. Gorgeous. All right. Well, we shall meet soon in person. Let's okay. do that. I'm, I'm like, okay. in for drinks. I'm in for drinks. So. <laughs> Wait, who's this? Who are we doing the Super Bowl? I don't know, what, what but you your... see a little naked butt right here. No, I just missed it. Was, who was that? Was There's that Bean? Bean's naked butt. And that's where oh, she ended dear. on a high note. And on a high note, with a poo. All right, guys. <laughs> All right, Bye, guys. Have a great day. Thank you both so much. Bye.
Margo, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you in my life so much. And just to have somebody to look up to who is also just, you know, a text or email away, I'm so grateful. And to have you in that part of my life when I needed guidance the most. So thank you so much. All right, uh, listeners, if you would honor us with a five-star rating and a review, it means the world to us. Opt in for our newsletter as well. You'll get a nice little fun email from us once a month talking about our guests and everything that we are up to and a little update on the bean here and there. And, um, you know, we just want to get closer to you. Um, Send us any questions you might have. If you have a guest in mind that you think would be great for the podcast, let us know. You can always find us on Instagram at Grand Rev Creative. All right, my friends. Over and out. We'll see you guys next time. This is Greener Grass.